Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Bruce Carroll. Bruce, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? I live in Memphis, Tennessee, actually Cordova, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and I am a uh, husband and father and grandfather, and uh, I love the Lord Jesus. Uh, I came to Christ in 1979, so I'm a follower of Christ, and I've been called to be a singer, songwriter, and communicator of the gospel through music. And I'm also a uh, worship leader, have been a director of worship for many years. And um, I get up every morning, thank the Lord that I'm on this side of the dirt, and then get into whatever assignment he has for me. Like today, (laughs) I have an assignment with you guys. This is awesome. (laughs) For people that um, uh, are interested in finding out more about your music, uh, I encourage them, go check out your music where can they do that uh they can go to brucecarroll.com or you can go to spotify or itunes uh, youtube i've got i got tons of videos and tons of records and songs so yeah check it out okay and i'll put those links in the description box so for people listening you can go straight there and they'll be ready for you to go and and find out more um now bruce you you're a multi Grammy, Dove, award-winning worship leader, musician. Um, I want to go back to the beginning, um, and we'll we'll come to today later. But when did you start getting involved with music, uh, and when was it that you realized this is actually what you were called to do? I was raised in a musical family, a very dysfunctional but musical family. And uh, my older brother's played acoustic guitars and sang and my and, and my sister sang <clears throat> and my uh, mom uh, played piano and my dad sang he was in vaudeville <clears throat> excuse me for 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 years so so I always remember music being played in the house and um, uh, I got my first acoustic when I was about 10 years old yeah 10 or 11. And, um, you know, there was a big folk movement uh, when I was a kid at, at that age. Uh, people like Pete Seeger, Peter, Paul and Mary, the new Christy Minstrels. And uh, so I had an opportunity to go to see uh, Peter, Paul and Mary in concert. My sister took me and we were on about the fifth row and it was an epiphany. I mean, I, I, I sat there and watched what they did. And I was moved. I was not at the time. Later on, looking back on it, I laughed, I cried, and I was so struck by the power of what they were doing that when I got home, I wanted to do that. That's what I wanted. to. I wanted to get up in front of people and sing songs. <clears throat> now, I was not raised in a Christian home, so you know God was uh, really not in any of the equation uh, as far as I knew. So, um, 
but I was compelled to really start to work on the acoustic and learn chords and learn songs. And, um, that's where it all started. And, um, uh, ironically, many years later, uh, I was in the Shrine Auditorium in uh, Los Angeles, and I just won my second Grammy. And I saw Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul and Mary crossing the, the uh, foyer. And so I stopped him. And I said, Peter, you have to know this. Uh, I just won a Grammy. But I want you to know that one of the reasons why I'm here and why that even happened was because you did and have been doing what you have been doing faithfully for so many years. You impressed me as a little as a little boy to be a uh, changer of the world through music. And I want to thank you for it. And then about two years, uh, three years after that, I was invited to the uh, Special Olympics to sing a song that I wrote. And Peter, Paul, and Mary were there. So I was at a press conference with Peter uh, again. And so I sang this song, and he was so impressed by it. In fact, he cried at the press conference, and he said, you have to come and sing that song for the other two, for Paul and Mary and uh, Sergeant Shriver. And I said, okay. Uh, so I got to spend uh, about th three, three and a half hours backstage with Peter, Paul and Mary, and I got to sing them the song and I got to talk to all of them and get to know them and let them know what an influence in my life they had, they had been. So that was, that was a cool thing. Um, hmm. But yeah, so I, I, I wanted to be a singer songwriter from the time I was about 11 inspired by Peter, Paul and Mary. And then of course the Beatles hit, and um, I don't, I don't know. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something really weird. I don't know how many podcasts have done this, but see, I'm like, I'm like a Beatles fan. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a uh, Beatles, Beatles drum head, and and then, uh, and then I've got, you know, I got stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, All the Beatles I've, memorabilia. Right. You know, I mean, like. I don't worship the Beatles uh, and they aren't my idols, but they are a huge musical influence because of the excellence mm. in uh, songwriting and production that they, that they brought. Mm. Um, I, just so anyway, want to, uh, I just want to jump in with one thing before it passes by. I'm thinking what a, what a profound thing it was that you went out of your way to thank them for the influence that they'd have in your lives. Mm. You went out of your way to stop them and say, I want to tell you. Giving honor to, to those that have gone before you and inspired you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want that to pass because I think it's something that is sadly lacking so often um, and how powerful it is to people when we do stop and thank them for the influence they've had in their lives. Giving so, people roses now. Often we give it to them after they've died. Well, but... I hadn't quite gone to that place, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but right. um, I, I just wanted, no, I, I just wanted to pick that up before you we shot on too far past. Well, thank you, um, and it's just something that I didn't really think much about doing because it was such a natural thing, you know. And like maybe it's my age, maybe it's the culture in which I was I was raised. Uh, uh, and that's a really good point. And it is something that when I'm out doing some church consultant work and I'm working with uh, worship teams, worship leaders, 
And I have a heart to train, equip, and mentor uh, people like that. I always bring that up that, you know, I mean, like generally I'm working with people younger than myself, but I do make it a point for them to understand that they are standing on the shoulders of somebody else and doing what they're doing because somebody else did it before they did. And, you know, they need to have honor and respect for those that came before and gave them an opportunity to be who they are. Mm. That's important. We take people, when we have mission teams come to the UK, we like them to get a feel of the of the nation. I think too often missions is all about building a house instead of understanding the nation. And we take them to some of the old cathedrals with the stained glass window and the pews and the kneelers. And you can almost feel them looking round and rolling their eyes like, oh yeah, this yeah. is religious. And we get them to close their eyes, stand there and close their eyes. And we say to them, you have what you have today because you are standing on the foundations of these generations past, many of whom gave their lives. Uh, and to to really appreciate that, I think, I think probably with worship, with music, there is a, often a sense of judgment of the past and there can right. be a sense of judgment for the future as well. I mean... Music separates generations. So, yeah, we're right along with you with that. The shoulders of one generation, no, the floor of one generation should, should be, be the, the ceiling, ceiling of the of next. The next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it's, uh, you know, plus it's a biblical deal. And, and uh, you know, you talk about the younger generation, you know, who I happen to love, you know, uh, as difficult at times as it is to feel like I'm really communicating and getting through. Um, but, uh, one, one particular, (laughs) one particular, uh, person, um, we went out to eat and I was having a hard time understanding why this this person gave no deference to, or, or seemed to have a very difficult time working with anyone older than, than, than him. And, um, uh, I mean, this is really weird and random to go with me on this. So he, we, we went out to lunch and he started talking about, you know, how the earth was flat. I don't know if you know any flat earthers. Uh, I, I don't, I don't happen to believe that, uh, at all and i don't even know what to say to people uh that believe that um uh it's just insane uh but i mean the flat earth thing doesn't really make sense anyway we've got mountains and stuff the earth isn't flat anyway so you know well we've yeah. been traveling for 30 years and we haven't fallen off the edge yet we've been to 14 yeah, yeah, nations right. so you know you can use that as evidence if you like Right. Well, and so I didn't even know what to say. I, you know, I mean, like that's so asinine that I just, just, just looked at him. And, but when he started, you know, saying, well, you know, like all the rockets that supposedly went into space, that's all fake. And we didn't go to the moon. We didn't land on the moon. And, and so that's when I started to get, you know, my ire got up because I remember going, you know, NASA and the concentrated effort to get to get 
to the moon and back and all the people that sacrificed and the lives that were lost and the just the pride of the country and everybody working in the same direction and to discount all all of that sacrifice and all the technology that came as a result of that happening and on and on and on it really hacked me off so i don't work with that guy anymore <laughs> there's just some people you can't work with <laughs> Uh, by the way <laughs> before we carry on just to correct our quote earlier on it's something we say all the time it's not the floor it's the ceiling the ceiling of one generation is the floor of the next and then we say how high is your ceiling and who are you putting on it yeah well I'm just to correct ourselves from no, earlier just we only that. say it all over the world and we got it wrong so um no oh, i, I just said it yeah. to see whether you would pick it up oh yeah no well I, done you did yeah no yeah i'm glad i went back and correct that it was eating away at me yeah um <laughs> if we carry on like this i'm gonna to have to stop working with you so okay um so uh going back to some of your journey what would you say um was the the major break for you um which took you from you know just dreaming about doing this thing to actually being able to do it full-time okay so i worked hard and i got to be a pretty good acoustic player by the time I was 13, 14 years old. And uh, when I was in high school, I would I would play it at dances and I'd play around campfires and I'd do James Taylor songs. And, you know, like it was great to be an acoustic player as opposed to an electric player because you had to take an amp and cables and you had to power and all that. Mm. And acoustic, I could just take it to the campfire and sing to the girls, and which is really what my whole motivation was was to get people to like me and to get girls to like my voice and let me woo them with my James Taylor song. But uh, I came, came to the point to where I got to be skillful enough to where I started to play cover songs in some local clubs and pubs and bars and stuff and uh, put a band together, worked with couple other guys we had a trio for a while and a duo for a while and so i was actually by the time i was 15 uh working around uh san antonio making money uh i dropped out of high school and sort of devoted all of my 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 time to being a singer songwriter even though i wasn't really writing any songs i was i was just singing everybody else's and so um me and this guy and this girl, we got some attention from a couple of record labels and um, we had an opportunity to sign with a label called Electra, but I so disdained the girl that was in this trio that I didn't sign, uh, which, you know, like in hindsight, it was the right thing. But, you know, but I was a kid and I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have any direction. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't even know God existed. Really didn't think a whole lot about him most of the time unless I was in trouble, um, which I got into quite a bit. Because um, in high school, it was, you know, the age of, of you know, uh, turn on, tune in, drop out kind of generation. So, you know, I dropped a lot of acid, smoked a lot of pot. Um you know, uh, drank a whole lot of everything that was available, behaved badly, but musically I was doing what I wanted to do. 
and uh, it got got to the point to where uh, I was I was playing out just about every weekend, mm-hmm. and um, and that's how it how it started. And um, so I moved from the central Texas area to Denver, Colorado. And tried to do the same thing there and uh, was pretty successful at it. Um, and um, I got into some trouble with drugs. I got, I got arrested uh, a couple times because I drank too much and got in fights. And, um, and that was just part of the process of uh, God um, waking me up and you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that one's life isn't working. <laughs> and so, you know, I was making a living and I was singing other people's songs, but my life was a mess. My personal life was just a wreck. Mm. And so, but God used that and my older brother um, who got saved, who came to Christ in 1978. Uh, he went on a mission to get me saved. And so he was highly instrumental in, uh, you know, calling me and sharing Christ. And eventually in 1979, I, uh, gave my life to Jesus by myself in my bedroom in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, nothing's been the same since. Um, and, uh, the trajectory of my, of my life changed. Um, I got out of music. I stopped doing it. Uh, because I didn't want to go back and do what I was doing. I didn't want to be in the clubs and the bars anymore Mm. at that time because, um, you know, I didn't want to drink and do drugs, frankly. And um, so I started to get odd jobs and I didn't think music was going to be part of my life anymore. Um, Sold all of my gear. I sold my guitars and all my equipment. And so, uh, you know, and, uh, fortunately, um, I got, I got plugged into a, to a church. This is crazy. I'm going to have to tell you how this works. Um, so my older brother, Melton led me to the Lord, told me what I needed to do to be saved. He didn't lead me to the Lord, but he told me how to do it. And so I did it on my own. And Shortly after that happened, he came to town and he was eating with our older brother who has since uh, passed. But so Milton went from me to his older brother, our older brother, our oldest brother, to try to get him to Christ. So he's at a restaurant in Denver, Colorado called Lau Lau Zados, who's an ex-football player, an all-pro guy. He owned the restaurant and he was witnessing to Billy. Milton was witnessing to Billy, our oldest brother. And Billy said to Milton, well, you talk like there's Christians everywhere. And Milton said, there are Christians everywhere. At that time, a girl named Nikki Barker skated up. She was a roller skating waitress in this restaurant. Uh, Everybody had to, you know, have a shtick. And so hers was, you know, was this roller skating waitress, beautiful girl. She skated up and Billy said, excuse me, are you a Christian? And she said, well, yes, I am. Uh, which was, you know, kind of funny. And anyway, Milton and her got to talking and he said, hey, my little brother just came to Christ. Do you know a good church? And she said, yes, my church is a good church. 
So he said, well, I'm going to send my little brother there. His name is Bruce. So I started going to that church and I met this girl, Nikki, who eventually became my wife. Hmm. And um, she's the one that turned me on to Christian music because when we, when, anyway, when I started going to this church and I met her, she didn't know I had anything to do with music. And we started to kind of date a little bit. So I had known her for about two months and I was over at her house and I saw an old K acoustic guitar, kind of cheap, sitting behind a chair. And I said, oh, a guitar, do you, do you play? And she said, eh, you know, I know a few chords. She said, do you play? And I said, eh, a little bit. <laughs> so I played and sang the song and her jaw dropped. And the first thing that she said was, God's going to do something big with you. And I said, well, how's that work? I mean, I don't like, how can he do something big with me in music? I, I used to be in music and I didn't know that there was Christian music is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. And she said, oh yeah, yeah, there's, there's like Christian music. Don't you know that? And I said, no, uh, no. You know, I mean, I'm like probably five, six months old in the Lord. And she's, she got saved in 1974. So she's older than I am in the Lord. But uh, yeah, so like she turned me on to these albums, you know, and Phil Kagey and BJ Thomas and all these Christian records. And I and I thought, wow, that's just amazing. So I could write Christian songs and do music again, but for him. And she said, yeah. So that was kind of the start of me uh, wanting to get back into music. She actually bought me a guitar because I didn't have the money. And uh, and then we, I chased her for a year and a half, and she eventually surrendered. Uh, and uh, her and I wed in uh, 1982. And so she's been a huge uh, support and has encouraged me in my musical gift. And I wouldn't have done any of that. Uh, probably would not have pursued a record deal and a publishing deal in Nashville had she not pushed me to do that. But it's, it's eye-opening when, when we listen to somebody say the things that you've just said, because when people come to know the Lord and they have no, in inverted commas, church background, we make a lot of assumptions about what they know, um, the culture of the culture of the church, etc., etc., and hearing you say, well, I didn't even know there was Christian music, should be a wake-up call that we need to... I think we just get complacent in our Christianese instead of getting out mm. and saying, actually, we've got to enter your culture in order that we can understand um, how to walk with you into the life of the kingdom does that make sense yeah uh-huh sure yeah and and so it was a journey uh i mean obviously i had to grow in the lord too uh, and you know i mean i couldn't just jump right into writing songs plus there's a way you know it's a craft i mean it's an art form and and so i didn't know a whole lot about writing songs in the first place that were any good anyway and but more than that, 
I didn't know what to write because I didn't know the Lord well enough to even articulate what was going on. You know, I was a brand new believer. I didn't know anything. I mean, some days I feel like I still don't know anything, you know, and it's what, 30 something years. And, you know, cause there's so much to the Lord. There's so much in the word. There's so many facets and, and depths in the relationship that we have with Christ. But, but uh, Nikki was very good. And these guys that were discipling me, what a, what a blessing that was. I mean, if I didn't have these men that were going out of their way to make sure, you know, holding me accountable and taking me to Bible studies and, you know, for the next five years, calling me and checking up on me and, you know, uh, challenging me to, you know, study to show myself approved and to know why I believe what I believe, you know. Mm. So uh, all that work towards the culmination of I started to write some songs and I started to sing in some local area churches. I was scared to death when I first started because I felt this combination of I am so not worthy to do this. And, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing, uh, but I'll get out there and, you know, and just lay out the relationship that I have through these little songs that I wrote and people started to like them. And so I was affirmed over and over again. And um, that's when Nikki and I felt like we were supposed to move from Texas to Nashville. So what was the first song you wrote and why did you write that one? Well, the first song I wrote as a believer, you mean? Hmm. Yeah. Um, it was a song called Sp Spinning. I was spinning around in circles, not knowing where or how to go. <laughs> uh, is how it starts. And, um, you know, da da da, desperation starting to show, balancing on life's tight wire, no net below to break my fall, wanting to pick the phone up, but not knowing who to call. Hmm. I mean, just a simple little song like that. And then the chorus is Lord, my creator. I called out to you and you were there to answer my plea. Uh, something like, uh, I know I can't repay the many things you have done. I, I thank you every day for choosing me, I think is. And so that was the first song. And I went into the studio and demoed it. And I was singing in these little concerts that I was doing. And I just kept writing. And, and um, so, you know, Nikki and I really felt like that was what the Lord wanted me to do. Mm. And her being a support, like just unbelievable helpmate. She, uh, she said, yeah, let's move to Nashville. And so we did. And we slept on the floor of my brothers for about four months, uh, me and her, and we had three kids at the time. And uh, yeah. And so I worked as a welder, until two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I went down to music row and started writing with anybody that wanted to write with me. And, and, uh, I met some people who knew some people who knew some other people and, you know, relationships are everything. And, um, mm -hmm. so I ended up signing a publishing deal and doing a demo. And I met a songwriter who was who had a record deal, who was looking for a song and I gave her a song 
and she was playing it for word records and they said oh yeah we really love that song but who's that guy singing it she said this guy named bruce carroll and they said um does he have any more songs and she said oh yeah he's got a bunch and so she took my tape in i think the next day and i I got a call from uh the president of the company later that week and they said hey would you be interested in coming and talking to us about a record deal i said sure and so i went in and they said man we really love the song that terry gibbs is going to cut but we also love all these other songs of yours would so how about you sign with us and we put it out and that's and 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 that's what happened so i signed with word records uh, i think in about 1980 mm. 87 86 87 and uh, released my first which was 10 demos they went on ahead and put it out and then um and then from there is 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 when it started and i made i think eight records with them and won some grammys won some doves traveled the world got in front of a whole lot of people and uh it was just a beautiful time and um you know nikki and i got to got to see the fruit of uh of the vision that god had called us both mm -hmm. into at the beginning you were saying about how um your motivation was uh kind of a, a Beatles will lead me to the light, you know, that if I, if I play this music, you know, the girls, people will be interested in me. And so it is more of a pursuit of people liking you and, and of a, a fame, if you like. Um, you got saved. You then start doing Christian music. In your journey as a successful worship leader, what are some lessons learned? Did did some of those old motivations come back? I know what it can be like when you're you're put onto a platform and all these people are looking at you and singing your songs, you know, some of the things that it can do with your ego. Um, did some of those old tendencies come back? Um, were there other things that maybe you struggled with along that journey that you had to learn lessons about? Um, uh, can you talk a bit about some of that? And then I want to talk to you a bit about the current uh, worship music industry absolutely yeah uh yeah i i struggled with all of that uh you know it's such an interesting thing that happens there are so many art artists you know uh, i think that the creatives are you know by and large insecure and uh, i I mean, I know that I started, I mean, I had this gift, but I wanted to use it to manipulate people into liking me because um, I didn't know how fully loved I was already. Uh, so there's a, there's a death that has to occur. And in my case, it happened m more than a few times. Um, God gives us this gift, but it's, but it's his gift and he gives it to us to use in a particular way and mm -hmm. for a particular reason. And, um, I know that I had to, I had to be willing to let all that go. I had to be willing as a believer 
as a follower of Christ and in personal relationship with him, I had to be willing to say, I don't care if I ever do this. I just want to do what you want me to do. Um, and that's not an easy thing, but yet it's a requirement. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, many, many singer songwriters that have come to faith have said the same thing, you know, um, getting up on stage is a, is a tricky deal. And if we're not up there for the right reason, you know, seeking to please an audience of one, um, then, um, you know, God is going to deal with that. And so, you know, it's just one of those things This uh, when I first started, I wanted people to love me and I, and I was conscious of that. But then after I came to Christ, I just wanted to do everything that would please him, not to make him love me any more than he already did, but just because he deserves everything that I've gotten that I am. And I love him for what he's done. So, mm. so along that process, you know, you know, and then I, so like, I didn't care if I was, was going to ever do music again. And Nikki discovered I knew how to do music and she pushed me and encouraged me to do it. So I did it because I have the gift to do it. But all along the way, the Lord checked me and he would bring people in to my life to speak into my life. Like I remember one particular situation when I'd just been nominated for a Grammy and I didn't even know how that worked. You know I mean? How does that even happen? Hmm. But you know, the record label called and said, Hey, you've been nominated for Grammy. It's in New York city and you know, congratulations. And you're going to go and we're going to pay your way and stuff. So I had this buddy of mine who was my worship leader mentor at the time, a guy named Don Potter, a wonderful guy who you should interview sometime. Um, he came over and I was struggling with it, you know, and I said, Don, should I go and do this? I mean, I don't write these songs. I don't make these records and I don't get in front of people. Uh, I don't aspire to win Grammys, but I'm nominated for it. He said, look, your peers are saying you've done a good job. They want to give you a pat on the back. That's all this is. So just go. It's paid for. Have a good time. Enjoy it. But yeah, don't make a big deal out of it because uh, it's not. Mm. It's just not a deal. He said a bigger deal is this. You're going you're gonna to probably win it because the album is great. And that's going to open up all kinds of avenues for you to be able to go out and minister and sing to the world. Remember this. If you're out there winning souls and you're doing your songs and you come home and your wife is, is, um, is resentful, your kids are rebellious and your grass is a foot high, then you're, then you're probably not doing the work of the Lord. You've mm -hmm. got to make your family first. You got to take care of what God has called you to take care of first. And then that other stuff that, that, that gift that God has given you to be able to do, just take all that with a grain of salt. Cause it's not about you. It's about what he's doing through you anyway. And then just come home and take care of business. And so, you know, those are the kinds of people that God brought into my life to speak those kinds of things in, into me to keep me grounded but I will say that, you know, when the Grammys were coming and the Doves were coming and I was flying every week and getting in front of big crowds and making a lot of money, 
yeah, it, you know, it, it was easy to believe my press and to think that I was something, you know, mm. uh, and, you know, there were, there were times when I didn't handle that very well, but God was always faithful to either with my wife who, you know, who is amazing and being able to keep me grounded. Um, you know, he would use her in a mighty way and, um, you know, and other, and other folks. So, mm. so I was able to navigate that and, you know, come out on the other side, you know, pretty intact. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fail, uh, like so many others, uh, did. And I certainly could have. Mm. I, so. I just want to, to pick on before, Andrew, you move it on. There are three words you mentioned that I think are very lacking in, in people in general, Christians in general, and especially with people on the platform. Um, I mean, I don't want to judge the rest of the world, but I see it and see it. You said you were mentored. You said you were discipled. You said there were people that spoke into your life and you listened to your wife. And, and I think... Those are such keys that, I mean, I, for one, am very, very strong on on this because they hold your character in place. Um, and one of the things I say is that your character can bring you down. So, you know, let's, let's focus on your character and your gifting will then shine. So I just wanted to point that out that I think... From my perspective, they are huge in you going along the journey. The other thing is that I think sometimes people see worship leaders like yourself and they think they can just go out and it will all happen. But you talked about how you slept on the floor and how you had to move and, and the whole path that led you to there demanded sacrifice and hard work. Even, I think you said at 13, you practised hard. So I just wanted to pick those things up because I think they can, those can all get very lost on the journey if we're not careful. Yeah, so it's... It's such an interesting dance, uh, life is. Um, we Anything we do, we have to do with all of our heart for the glory of God. And, you know, playing and singing skillfully or doing whatever we do, it needs to be done skillfully. So that takes work. I mean, you know, it just doesn't happen. I mean, I, 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 I believe that I'm naturally gifted and inclined to be a good acoustic player. So that comes easier for me than it does a lot of other people that I know. I mean, they have to work harder at it to do what I do. That just comes naturally. I used to play with a guy that was, he would just get infuriated because I could just phone it in. And, you know, I mean, he'd have to do scales and work hours a day and I didn't have to do that. But relative to after we, come to Christ, there's a, you know, there's a mandate and a standard that we have to, have to, uh, have to abide by. Mm. And so that's, that's one of the things, I mean, whatever we do, we have to work hard in order to, order to be the best at it. And we should all as believers have, have a very strong work ethic because if we're working, that's what God has called us to do. Yeah. So we should do it the best we can. Is okay. that what you're saying? Oh, definitely. Okay. Um, 
I want us to talk a bit now as we come towards the, the end of this episode uh, about your heart for mentoring and raising up the next generation of worship leaders, um, of people involved with the Christian music industry. Um, we're seeing a lot, especially over the last few years, of very well-known Christian worship leaders, people involved with very well-known Christian bands that are now walking away from the faith. And ultimately our faith is is down to us. We should be responsible for developing our faith and going deeper in it. Um, would you say that's primarily the issue that we're seeing with a lot of these well-known Christian worship leaders walking away from the faith? Or would you say there's something about the Christian music industry which also helps to 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 foster this um happening yeah i think it's probably a combination of that um and and i think it goes back to what daphne said about the mentoring and the discipleship and the accountability i mean when i when i when i traveled i always traveled with somebody because I didn't want to be out there by myself, uh, you know, not only be, not because I was afraid of something I would do, even though, you know, hey, bad stuff can happen to anybody, um, you know, but, you know, I didn't want to be out there and somebody be able to say something about me that wasn't true. So I always, you know, traveled, traveled with my wife or with a road manager or, you know, somebody was always with me is what I'm saying. And um, so to take that into our daily Christian walk, I think it's really important that we, that we do not forsake the assembling together, that we're in a community, that we have people that know us, that can speak into our lives, that can, that, you know, that can sharpen us, that can also say, hey, what you're thinking is whacked. And, uh, you know, it's not in the Bible and this interpretation that you've got is crazy. And, you know, I see you as being, you know, arm of the flesh motivated. I, you know, those, those kinds of things are hard, but, but I've always had people in my life that have, that have kind of kept me on the saddle and, and have said the hard things, um, and so in part, I think that some of the, some of these worship leaders, the industry sort of breeds competition. It breeds celebrity. Um, and uh, it's easy to get wrapped up in that. So once we get to thinking that we're bigger and more important uh, than we are, and God really needs us, then we start to act crazy and if we don't have people that are speaking into our lives to say hey are you out of your mind uh you know mm -hmm. why are you doing this why are you believing that you know then so to have those mechanisms in place as a worship leader as anybody up in front of people with any kind of notoriety is essential it's critical when we were with you in memphis um in our conversation you're talking about your heart for mentoring and and helping the next generation um as you've engaged with younger people within that industry, have they been open to to that kind of thing, to to having an older generation pouring into them, or have you found more people being resistant to it? Uh, some have been open, some haven't. Um, I I generally uh, when I'm 
have an opportunity to speak into a team or some worship leaders. Um, it has been as, as a result of an, of an invitation of the leadership of the church, uh, either to raise the bar um, of quality and skill or to maybe transition through a difficult time. Maybe they're having some issues with behavior with the worship leader, or maybe the worship leader is just sort of inherited the job and he or she is really, you know, struggling, you know, they've got the calling and the, and the talent to do it, but they just need to be helped. You know, they need to be mentored and discipled. So, but in, but in all those scenarios, um, mostly by the time I get there, the, uh, yeah, they're, they're open to me speaking into their lives because it's kind of been told to them, Hey, here's what has to happen. So there's some that are doing it because the senior pastor or the leadership says it has to be done and they're kind of open, but I can tell that there's times when, Oh, you know, here's this older guy and he can't possibly know as much as we do about what's, you know, really current and hip and where this church is going or, whatever. So I get that some of the time, but mostly I deal with younger people that are open and, um, and wanting to know more about what I've got to say. Mm. So what is your, what are your feeling towards um, Christian music in 2021 and there's so many forms of it if i look back over the years it kind of music worship music seemed to go through seasons you in the 1960s there was the um the worship to scripture and then you go all the way through and i think back um it wasn't so long ago that christian hip-hop came on the scene um uh, which i do call worship and and so it goes through seasons how have you navigated those seasons or how do you look at those seasons? I mean, if you go right back, there was William Booth going into the pubs and picking up secular tunes and, and worship came. So it goes on a journey. How have you navigated that? And, and how, do you, how, yeah, how do you navigate that personally, if not by worshipping in that way yourself, but in attitude and um, the way you relate to it? Yeah, so when I was on full-time church staff, which I'm, I'm, I'm not now, and don't know that I'll ever really want to do that again. I mean, I'm open to it, whatever the Lord wants, and whatever situation He wants to drop me in, I'm happy to do it. I, I was doing full-time church work for, for, you know, a total of about 20 years, and um. When I was doing that, I, I was listening to new music every week because I wanted to know what was happening out there. And, you know, um, mm -hmm. but since I've, I've been out of a full-time thing uh, uh, for, you know, I mean, I've been back to a full-time thing a couple of years uh, until uh, November of last year, I was out at a church and I was out there pretty much full time, but I wasn't really listening to as much music as I was back, back then. 
because I I read the congregation and I have I know so many songs from so many decades and I still listen to a little bit. I don't I don't listen to as much worship song songs as I used to. Um, mainly uh, because I don't I don't have the time, um, and a lot of where the mainstream worship is I don't particularly like myself. Uh, and you know, and that's not a style statement, you know, I mean, I like all styles. I'm a very eclectic musically, very eclectic guy. And I love any, and I can appreciate anything that's done really well mm -hmm. for the right reason. Um, and you know, I mean, God uses all kinds of styles, reggae and, you know, rock and roll, you know, I mean, Christian hard rock, you know, I mean, like I know the Petra guys, I was just with them yesterday. I know uh, Michael uh, Sweet from Striper and, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily something that I'd get up and do, but they do it so well and they've got such a heart and a passion behind it. So I can actually listen to it and enjoy it. But I don't listen to a whole lot of, of, of the mainstream Christian stuff because I don't like the repetition. I don't like the the uh, shallowness of it. And, uh, you know, if, I mean, I sound very judgmental and I'm not talking about, I'm not indicting all of it. I'm just saying a lot of it is, is just not my cup of tea. And, you know, and I don't want to pick on a particular song. There is one out there called reckless love. And, you know, it speaks of how God's love, excuse me, is reckless. And that is so not true. And I'm not going to sing a song called reckless love. Cause, cause there's nothing reckless about God and there's nothing reckless about his love. Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you go with the true meaning as a songwriter, I get it. You know, they're trying to come up with something, you know, a new way to say something, but you know, so yeah. there's songs that I just cringe, you know, when I hear like, you no, know, that's not even true. Yeah. There are certain uh -huh. songs where we'll be in a church and they'll be playing some music and everyone's singing along and we'll be reading the words and it will get to certain parts and we'll just stop singing. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll start singing right. a little bit later in the in the song. Um, I know a couple churches that we've been to where um, if they want to use a, a new worship song in the church, then the senior pastor has to vet it and give permission for it to be used so he can check the theology behind the lyrics. Right. Um, so completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, but but... See, why should the senior pastor have to do that? Yeah. I mean, the worship leader should do that. And so when I go in, when I go in and, and, you know, speak to a team or consult in a particular situation, I mandate that, or, or, or I just encourage that the worship director, the guy who's calling the shots is so in tune with the pastor and his heart, but more than that, knows the word of God enough to know when something's not Doctrinally right, and then that frees the pastor up to go and be more about what God's calling him to do instead of, you know, watchdog worrying about whether or not his worship leader is going to do a song that's whacked. You know, yeah. I mean, we could go down a whole avenue on this one because it is something that we are have a real eye for. This the theology behind songs and. I'll just throw in this statement, which is like throwing a, a stone into a pond, I think, at the minute. But 
Christmas songs, the theology that is so off whack on Christmas songs, I sometimes find it hard to sing one that I know is theologically and even geographically and all the rest of it correct. So, um, yeah. I'll don't, w- don't ruin Christmas for everyone. No, what I'll you doing? stop there. But there's, there's another one which I will mention, you know, that everybody, it's an old one, but it's still sung today. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. I go, do you realise where that was sung? It's when the armies are coming down Armageddon towards Jerusalem and Jesus is challenging them. They say, you think you're, you know, you're, you think you're strong, you're not, you're weak. It's flipping the whole thing over. And uh, so, yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying because it really, we all ought to have an eye for what's coming out of our mouths. Mm. So we I have yeah. taken that in another direction now, haven't I? Yeah, well, we, like you said, we could go off on, we could go uh, off on, that that on a whole other tangent here, which um, it could be a whole other episode. But, um, yeah, Bruce... Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. For people listening, if you are involved in uh, the Christian music industry, but even outside of that, there's a lot of really good principles here, generally speaking, for everyone. So go on, you want to say something? I was just going to say, so maybe Bruce can just finish it off. If If there are younger worship leaders listening right now and you have two minutes to say something to them, what would you say? Wow. Okay. I would start and being a worship leader, speaking to another worship leader, let me just say, it's not about us. Uh, it's all about him. Uh, our, our responsibility is to, is to know him and love him and serve him to, uh, know God's word, um, to do what we do to the best of, our ability skillfully work on our craft and our art that he has given us to glorify him with. But then loving on people, loving the Lord first, and then loving on people uh, because it's all about relationships. Um, God cares more about that than anything uh, relative to our, to our, to our teams and the people that he's put in our, in our, in our, in our charge or as shepherd over. And so love people as Jesus has, uh, loved us and, uh, do what we do skillfully to glorify the Lord. When we worship, worship to the audience of one and rest in who we are in Christ and who he is in us. Bruce, thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we'll have to have you yeah. back again. Uh, and we're going to have your wife on as well at some point. So Great. so thank you so much. We really appreciate yes, it. Thank you, Bruce. Oh, thank thank you. you, guys. We sure love you guys. And yeah, anytime. And stay in touch. And, you know, the Hotel Carol is open. You know, so like if you're back in Memphis anytime soon, base out of here, we got a couple rooms for you. And we'll keep the bathroom clean and the, and the refrigerator stocked. Uh, well, well, what more can you ask for? Well, I don't know, but he's I, just publicised that over how many nations? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a personal invitation to us. Not everyone else <laughs> yes. gets that. Oh, just making that right. clear. We <laughs> may you. well take you up on it. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Bruce, so much indeed. Sure. Thank you. All right. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.